And the science tells us that if there are no major mortality factors outside of hunting and you have a pretty, let's say, average deer herd, you know, where they're producing fawns and those fawns are being um, recruited into the population at a pretty normal rate, you need to remove about 25 to 30% of the adult does on an annual basis just to stabilize population growth. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and I hope you're getting to spend some time out in the deer stand. Uh, Despite the warm temperatures, it was 85 degrees here yesterday, I think, in South Georgia, but I'm still seeing a lot of hunters with great bucks fill up my social media feed. So that's that's a good thing. Uh, Unfortunately, I'm not one of those hunters yet, but hey, there's still plenty of deer season left to get it done. So if you hadn't had any luck at this point, you know, putting a tag on, on a good buck this season, hey, keep at it. it. It only takes one good hunt to change your whole season. So just just keep that in perspective. Uh, this week on the podcast, we have NDA's own Matt Ross to break down the process of figuring out how many does and, and how many bucks you should take off of a property or the or the properties where you hunt. Uh, it's one of the most common questions we get asked through email and on social media. You know, guys wondering, how many does should I take on my, you know, 100 acres or, or 500 acres? Or or how many bucks can I take without, you know, having a negative impact on future hunting seasons? So we decided to bring on Matt to tackle some of those, those tough questions. Matt wrote a, a great article on this very topic a few years back that you can find on our website. And I'll include a link in the show notes. Uh, and you'll hear him refer to that that article several times here in our talk. So if you still have questions after listening to this, or if you just want to have a reference to be able to go back to when needed, be sure to check that article out and, and bookmark that for future use. Hey, before we get started, though, this week's episode is brought to you by longtime NDA sponsor Leupold, makers of world-class optics. Uh, besides, you know, just phenomenal quality, one thing that stands out about Loophole is their lifetime guarantee on all their scopes and binoculars. Uh, if at any time your Loophole rifle scope, red dot, binocular, or spotting scope doesn't perform to your expectations, uh, they'll repair or replace it for free, whether you're the original owner or not. And that's, uh, that's pretty rare in this day and age. So if you'd like to check out Loophole's full line of products, you can do that at loophole.com. That's L-E-U-P-O-L-D dot com. Uh, One more thing before we jump on the phone here with Matt. If you're not subscribed to our free weekly email newsletter, uh, I would highly encourage you to do that. It's really simple. You can just head over to our website at DeerAssociation.com. If you go to leave the website, a a pop-up is probably going to come up there and, and prompt you to join our email list. Or you can just look under our menu under Get Involved, look for that link to join our newsletter. Uh, not only will you stay up to date with all our latest content, but you'll also be the first to know about any kind of special promotions that we have going on. Uh, and we're getting ready to kick off some some regular giveaways for members of our email list. I think we got a uh, Moultrie cellular trail camera 
coming up here first that we're going to give away. So, hey, you'll definitely want to make sure you're signed up for that. Doesn't cost you anything. We won't spam up your email box. You know, we send out a weekly newsletter, occasionally other emails on on promotions that are going on. And you can always unsubscribe to that at any time. There's a link at the bottom of, of every email we send out where you can unsubscribe. So, uh, yeah, take advantage of that. And with that, guys, we're going to jump on the phone here with Matt Ross to discuss, you know, how many does and how many bucks you need to take for a well-balanced deer herd. Hey, Matt, before we dive into some some deer harvest strategies, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and, and kind of what your role is with the NDA? Yeah, Brian. Uh, so my title is Director of Conservation. Um, I've been working for the National Deer Association and formerly QDMA for uh, over 16 years at this point. So I've served in a bunch of different roles. But today what I do as the Director of Conservation is um, I work uh, under Kip Adams, our chief conservation officer, um, and my primary responsibility is I oversee our uh, field staff. So we have conservation staff members uh, across the country that do different things. They have different roles and responsibilities. Some of them um, oversee our um, education and outreach programs like Deer Steward or Land Certification Program. Um, Others work on state-specific specific initiatives. Um, like for example, we have folks in in states that work on CWD sampling or helping landowners with cooperatives, wildlife cooperatives, or deer management assistance programs. So they get them enrolled in different uh, programs. And so generally what I do is I, uh, I oversee them to make sure that they're meeting their goals and objectives and uh, our mission. And uh, I also oversee um, a national uh, initiative that we have working with government partners like the Forest Service on improving public lands. That's a project that has uh, has taken up a decent amount of time and, and it's really enjoyable from my perspective, especially with my background. Um, before I worked for NDA, uh, you know, years ago, I worked in the wildlife forestry consulting field. Um, I'm a licensed forester and a certified wildlife biologist. So what I did day to day in my previous job um, was working with landowners on managing their properties, management plans, writing plans, uh, writing prescriptions for timber harvest, um, writing prescriptions for wildlife objectives, and just trying to help them improve their private properties. And so I did that at a scale much smaller um, with landowners, you know, from a couple couple acres to a couple hundred or hundreds. Uh, working on this public lands initi- initiative is a ton of fun uh, because it allows us to leverage our expertise and network of, of partners and work on millions of it, you know acres, really hundreds of thousands a year and trying to improve uh, public land across the country everywhere deer hunters go. And so that's, that's another thing I work on day in, day out, which is a ton of fun. Yeah, yeah, and that's something I, I did want to touch on. I don't want to get I don't want to get too far off topic for this week's episode, but uh, you know, as a public land hunter myself, I, I'm pretty excited about seeing us get involved in this this public lands initiative. Um, I guess can you can you just talk a little bit more about that? How kind of how that came about and, and what the the goal there is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. We have a, a named initiative uh, that we launched in 21, 2021, 
Um, the title of this project is called Improving Access, Habitat, and Deer Hunting on Public Land. So a pretty, uh, a pretty broad topic um, in terms of, of what we're trying to achieve. But we have uh, landscape level um, goals with that. And the initiative uh, has a broad goal of improving about a million acres by 2026. And so primarily the way that we're doing this is through a mechanism called stewardship agreements uh, with the U.S. Forest Service, but it's not the only way. Um, we're also working with state agencies, state wildlife and forestry agencies in a handful of locations, working on state-mandated uh, state or state-controlled uh, lands and helping them either uh, through education and outreach with their staff or direct grassroots on-the-ground stuff in, in you know, doing things with states. But primarily, it's done through the Forest Service. And really, the way this kind of was born um, and why we launched this initiative was QDMA, the former you know, organization's name, really had a, a mantra and, and people knew us as a private land organization. You know, whitetails primarily live on private lands um, across the country. They're primarily hunted on private lands. And uh, we were born with the with the concept of helping people with private lands. But as we've evolved as hunters and as an organization, we know that, you know, certainly that's not everybody, although it's the minority that does hunt public lands. Most new hunters generally don't own public land. A lot of new hunters in, with the R3 initiative, uh, the recruit, retain, reactivate, a lot of folks that are just getting into it, or if they're young, um, they may have the for good fortune of, of having access, but a lot of them don't. So they're using public lands. And uh, one of the things that we really wanted to do is dip our toes into that arena of uh, working on public lands as well. And so through the R3 vision um, and also through trying to partner with some of our federal government partners at a different level rather than just working on policy with deer, um, you know, CWD policy or policy that has to do with regulations or, or laws. Um, we also wanted to, to touch the ground a little bit and actually get out there and start doing things on public lands for our members, for people that are just getting into the sport of deer hunting and trying to learn. And so it's a pretty, you know, big reach that we're trying to do it, but it's, we're, we're, we're have a really good first year, um, looking at this being launched in 21, late in 21. And so we're kind of nearing the one year point. And, uh, today, you know, just kind of a quick overview of where we're working for folks that are listening. Um, we have, uh, been, we have contractual obligations working in states such as, uh, Kentucky, uh, we're working in, uh, Mississippi in a couple different forests. We're working in Michigan, um, Idaho, um, and some others that we actually have agreements, sign agreements, and and we're uh, we're like on the ground working in those places. Uh, but that's not where it stops. I've also been talking to folks uh, through the Forest Service system, at least on that level, in a bunch of other states, and we have a lot of things that are coming. Um, through the hopper that'll be hitting in 22 or 23, uh, late in 22 or 2023, and um, super excited about it. I mean, it's 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 a time consumption, but it's one of those things that is really worth it. You know, from the mission standpoint, you know, being a colleague, um, not only 
ac- having access, but it really feels good to say this is landscape level stuff, forest health issues, access issues, and really just improving deer habitat to make the deer hunting better, um, improve the ecological condition um, in places where the Forest Service is, needs help. And uh, I can give you examples of some of the things that we're doing, but it's a super satisfying uh, project to be working on. Yeah, yeah, that's it's awesome. Like I said, as a as a public land hunter, I'm I'm excited to to see us get involved in something like this. I, I know you know some of our branches have been doing great work on on their local public lands for a while now, but uh, it's it's really cool to to see us get involved. Like you said, it's something where we can have more of a landscape type uh, impact. So. Yeah. And yeah. even some of our corporate partners are seeing the value in it. Um, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's Outdoor Fund um, wanted to help and get behind that. So we got a grant from them earlier this year. We really appreciate that. Um, the Outdoor Fund is a 501c3 nonprofit that they ask uh, shoppers to round up at the at the register and they use those dollars to help conservation organizations like us and others. And uh, we were able to to, to secure some funding from them to help with this specific project. So, you know, big shout out to Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's for helping. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, be excited to, to see where this goes. And, and like you said, I'm, I'm kind of glad to, to see us do something like this to, to kind of overcome, like you said, that, that perception that, that we were an organization just for, just for big landowners. And, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're out there working for all deer hunters and this, uh, yeah, this, this program will just kind of help, help reinforce that. So. And a, a lot of it's it. me too. A lot of it's not even just for deer hunters, you know, some of the treatments that, um, we're taking on for the forest service there, there, there's a lot of places there's capacity issues and not the forest service, you know, fault. They just, they can't get to it all. I mean, they have hundreds, million acres or over that um, it's like 194 million acre national forest system in the in the country and they just can't treat it all right so they use they, they use and leverage partners to get to some of that and a lot of it does help deer hunting because they're uh, a ubiquitous species that really adapts well um, but it's not just for deer you know in terms of anybody that recreates or uses forests we're helping conservation in all different shapes and uh, forms um, forest resiliency where you have health issues, insect or disease issues in the forest, which creates fire um, risk. Um, you know, we're doing that. We're doing vegetation management in cases where spraying noxious in exotic species, um, both aquatic and, um, you know, deer don't live in the water, but they use it. Um, aquatic and upland, uh, you know, invasive plant species that are getting out of control, like down in the south, we're working on kogan grass in areas. and. In other places, we're spraying other things. So we're trying to help the the ecology of the forest, but it definitely helps deer hunters and deer hunting as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got we have plenty of of non native invasive species down here in the south. That's <laughs> that's for sure. So, but yeah, with that, let's let's kind of dive into some some deer harvest strategy uh, because. Um, you know, I think it's it's an important topic and and one that's often overlooked with the with the popular hunting media. But but before we kind of dive into specifics, I, I want to take a little bit of a bigger picture look at this. I know in my early years as a hunter, which was you know a lot of the '90s, uh, the the mantra for most of us was you know shoot more does, 
Mm-hmm. It seemed like, you know, no, no matter how many does we, we collectively took off the landscape, we really weren't, you know, making a dent in the population. And obviously that, that varied some by region, but, but for most areas, you know, back then deer numbers seemed to be at or, or well above the, the target level. Uh, but it, but it seems like that tide has shifted a little bit here in the last, I don't know, 20, almost 30 years now. And, uh, there, of course, there's certainly still some areas where hunters aren't shooting enough does, but it, it seems like more and more, you know, you have areas that, that are either at their, their objective or, or in some cases below their object, objective, uh, like we're seeing here in the, the Northern part of Georgia where I live. But, uh, what I, I say all that to ask what, what's kind of changed here in the last 20 to 30 years i mean did, did we just shoot enough does in the 90s and and now we're maintaining or are there some other factors that are at play there there's a you know it is site specific as you know you know coming back from a wildlife background from both of us you know it is it is like landowner or even township specific but at a national level you're exactly right i mean i'm we're, we're not that far apart in age and i remember the same thing um, you know, th- those years, it was a push to shoot a lot of does. And part of that was cultural. You know, when you really think about the evolution of the concept of quality deer management, um, it almost burned like a, like a prescribed fire from where it was born, um, Texas and South Carolina, um, throughout the country. And it really didn't even reach parts of the United States and Canada. I live up in New York state. And so when I was first hired back in the late 2000s, you know, I was traveling up to Quebec and Ontario and it was brand new, you know, 2010, 2012, brand new concept in all those places. So um, although a lot of folks think about shooting does in those years, the 90s and the 2000s, it still wasn't across North America an embraced concept. It definitely, it definitely was a a slow burn, if you will. And, um, you know, at the time, um, that cultural change took time uh, for people to embrace the fact that they did. A, it was not only okay to shoot does because that was part of it. It was almost frowned upon, but that, that was their responsibility. Like, you know, shooting a doe is a, not a good thing and you have to do it because it's, you know, what did we say and still do under the QDM? It's going to improve your hunting, right? If you balance the deer herd and you get a even sex ratio, you balance the age structure, it's going to make your hunting better. And so it took that buy-in for hunters to really embrace it. And so I think one of the big things was, um, you know, looking at the, the, the late 90s and early 2000s, it was when it really took effect that people embrace it. And then there's that lag effect, right? Um, you know, if you look back, I know, um, our colleague Kip Adams has said before on previous podcasts, and um, we talk about it when we release our deer report every year. You know, the first year in in the United States history where we collectively, as a hunter base, shot more does than bucks um, was 1999. You know, before that, the decades and decades before that, we'd always shot more bucks. So from 99 on, if you look at that as a turning point, you know, it was starting to ramp up. Um, was when that culture really was changing. And so, you know, you give it five or 10 years after that, 2009, 2010, you're looking at about a decade after that point, you know, that's when the buy-in was at its highest and people were shooting a lot of does. Um, coinciding with, there were some major shifts around then, around the two, you know, 2010 uh, or so with 
habitat, um, you know, farm bill provisions. I can talk a little bit more specifically about that, but there was a lot of land taken out of CRP in the previous version of uh, the farm bill. It went from, you know, 20 to 17 million acres or something like that. I'll have to go back and look at the data, but it was like a, a huge drop. So a lot of land was put back into production and out of uh, those protective programs like the Conservation Reserve Program, um, where they were letting ground instead of farming it, uh, was letting it be a little bit more naturally vegetated and turning into early successional habitat and grasslands, which is productive for wildlife. And so when that that was one of the aspects was you lost habitat at a pretty large scale, especially in the in the Midwest. Um, you know, at the time, we were also starting to see um, some more historical outbreaks of things uh, like diseases, EHD, chronic, chronic wasting diseases spreading, but that by no means is, is hitting at a pace that major um, populations are dropping. It is definitely affecting populations in places, or it was at that point, and it still is today. But I think part of that was a scare factor. Uh, you know, for some areas, people were starting to to hunt less. Like Wisconsin's a perfect example. When CWD was discovered, um, there was a pretty precipitous drop in people that participated in hunting in that state, and it really hasn't ever gotten back to it. So, you know, you started to see people back back off uh, in places where diseases were occurring, either by prescription. You know, if there was a major epizootic hemorrhagic disease in a state. Um, they may have backed off the harvest, uh, or people were just choosing to shoot fewer. And at the same time, we were learning a lot about predators um, and their impacts, and that probably not only had a real a real effect in places. Um, and when I say real effect, in terms of them actually removing uh, fawns at a rate that didn't keep up with the amount that the hunters were shooting does. Because again, you know, at that time we were, we were starting to really shoot a lot of does. And I have some great examples of properties I've hunted and managed over time. And, and to give you kind of some of the numbers we were hitting at that time, but you know, if you can just think about it, people take, um, you know, we take things a little bit too far as a society, right? Like (laughs) plant this plant, it's going to be the silver bullet for all your deer hunting woes. You know, it's going to make your hunting so much better. We plant everything in that one thing or shoot does. And so we shoot the snot out of does, right? But at the same time, if people are doing that and then predators are already removing a certain percentage and you just, there was that buffer, you know, you never really saw that have a negative effect but at the same time we're shooting lots of those then you start seeing some of those negative effects so uh, you know it's a it's a complex thing and there's a lot of variables at play but there was a tide that shifted you know that tide turned and uh we were shooting lots of does and probably you know around 2012 to 15 in those like three or four years um uh, deer harvest started dropping. Some of it was prescribed. Some of it was, you know, a fear factor, if you will. People were backing off. Um, some of it, the deer just weren't available because they weren't being born and surviving because predators. And uh, there were some national conversations. I know that we put it at the NDA um, some content out in those years, 14, 15, about, you know, have we killed too many does? And it actually spawned uh, a, a national deer summit. One of the 
things happening at that time beyond some of the major issues like chronic wasting disease was deer populations, or at least we thought deer harvests were, were declining very fast over a, like a two or three year period. And so um, we, with some uh, partners, put on a like a symposium or a national deer summit. And one of the major discussion points was, you know, have we have we seen the heyday? Are deer populations crashing right now? And we talked through that. And um, ever since, you know, I think um, deer harvests are lower than they were, but they um, are healthier. Deer populations are healthier today than for the most part because there are fewer deer. Um, we probably had too many deer at that point, you know. Um, so it's it's this broad, long term thing that you look at, and it's also a short term thing, and it's and it's also property specific. So as a hunter. Um, you know, one of the things that we can do and we teach is that you can collect data and you can try to make some of these predictions yourself and 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 be ready to change what you're doing, you know, year to year, because that is going to shift um, year to year. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's really why I wanted to get you on here is is because it is it, it's a complex issue. And I think it's one that, um, like I said, people kind of struggle with and has been largely ignored really by popular media over the years as far as you know helping people kind of figure out how many deer they needed to be taken you know it was just shoot more does but uh now now we've been putting out information for a while now uh, and we've covered this topic in our magazine on our website but um i just i just think it's still uh, misunderstood and and you can tell that by the the emails and the the messages we get on social media we get them all the time with people wanting to know how many deer do i need to shoot off my property or how many does and you know they'll give us a little bit of information maybe tell us how many acres the property is and then maybe give us a little bit of habitat information uh, but but that's usually about it and it's certainly not enough for us to to start prescribing you know, how many deer they need to take off their property. So I guess what I'd like you to kind of walk us through are, is how do we determine that as a, as a landowner or someone that, that has a property that they hunt, how do they know how many does they need to shoot off that property in, in any given year? What's, what's some of the factors they need to, to look at to start kind of piecing that together? Oh yeah, I would love to do that. It's one of those things that that uh, I enjoy talking to our members um, about at our Deer Steward courses. That's one of the things we teach in those classes. But they have lots of questions about that, and I answer those emails too. Um, so yeah, I'd be, I'd be more than happy to cover some of those bases. You know, as I said before, there's no silver bullet, right? And so um, we hear one thing, and we we just apply that, and we apply it, and we apply it. It's just it's not just shoot more does, right? It, on a, on basically an annual basis, you have to evaluate um, how are things going. And um, I thought about this in the past and worked with Lindsay Thomas Jr., our chief uh, communications officer, about how to how to communicate this to the general public. And so we actually created a um, kind of an interactive worksheet that you can um, work on. And I'll get into some of the numbers here and, and the science behind it, and really uh, give give folks some guidelines on how to how to really decide. But at, at a super high level, you know, some of the things that you have to consider are, you know, what's what's been done in the past. You know, on your property, on your neighbor's property, are are um, are you 
you know, what's the history there? Um, what's the habitat like, as you mentioned, Brian, you know, is it, is it really good uh, habitat and it meaning the property is more likely to rebound quicker if you shoot too many um, or can it sustain a higher harvest or can it, can it hold more deer? Can it have a higher carrying capacity? So habitat is certainly something you have to consider um, besides, you know, the history. Um, we also want to use data to make some of these decisions. And so that's kind of a key factor is trying to figure out what the population is now. And then what's your desired future condition? Like, where do you want it to go? And that's how you set a prescription. So you can collect data from a couple of different ways. I'll talk about that. Um, what, what your goals are, you know, uh, that's part of what the state does too. You know, state and provinces, they set um, deer management objectives at either a county or wildlife management unit scale. And that's based on hunter feedback, um, biology, you know, what's needed to happen but also the general public's um, appetite for how many deer there are. You know, it, it's not just hunters that have a say in that. And so your objectives and what you're trying to achieve, um, you know, do you want to see a lot of deer? Are you trying to, to produce um, bigger antler deer and more of them? Are you trying to reduce deer density to the point where you're not seeing ticks out there um, or you're not seeing damage to, to, um, you know, a crop or a shrub. So, you know, the how you or I answer that's going to be different from uh, an apple orchard owner, um, and it's going to be different from uh, somebody that might have, um, you know, really enjoy seeing lots of deer, um, but don't want to see them shot. And so, every public, you know, they're a public resource, so people get to say all that. And then, really, the last thing that you need to take in is what's what's happened here in the in the last couple of years from um, a productivity standpoint, you know, are there any major environmental issues like weather, um, you know, where I live winter, you could have a really, really bad winter, uh, bad snowstorms at the end of like March, April, early April. And, uh, that, that will change my trajectory or has EHD had a bad outbreak or our predator numbers going up or down, you know, so you kind of throw in those, those other factors of mortality and say, is it just us killing them or is other, other things, uh, you know, killing deer? And is that changing the last year or two that I need to adjust for it? So those are all different things you need to take into consideration, but we, we generally start with, you know, what you're trying as a person that's written management plans, you ask the question, what are your, what are your goals? Like, you know, are you trying, what are you trying to produce? And you use that as, as a guideline. Um, and then from the data standpoint, if you can collect really good um, data on what the current condition is, one of the best ways you can do that as a hunter is just log how many hours you're sitting as a, as a when you're hunting, um, and how many bucks you see, how many does, how many fawns, and then if you see deer that you don't identify, and you just use what we call observation data and and catalog that. That's going to give you a good estimate of ratio of bucks to does. Um, it can also be used to determine productivity, like how many fawns are there uh, per doe and whether or not it's, and if you do this every year, you know, every time you sit, it's free. You're just sitting there anyway, right? I mean, we're going hunting. 
and you write you're sit write it down when you get back to the pickup truck or car or if you, there are some things like log books you can write it down and keep track at the end of the season total it all make some averages you can figure out how many deer you see per hour and those basic statistics as a hunter of of looking at those over time lets you know what the conditions are and as you apply different tools to it if you put more pressure on the does or less pressure you can see those things change so that's one way you can collect the data and then there are obviously a lot of folks like trail cameras um, there's science behind using cameras to catalog deer density um, sex ratio and other things so those are the two main ways you might collect data and one of the best techniques if we're going to start on the doe side of the population um, is that's generally where we start because they're the, the they're the reproductive segment of the deer herd, right? So if we're trying to increase or decrease deer density or stabilize it, it's going to affect our future, whether or not there's more bucks out there or more deer in the future. And so we typically start with with does and trying to set a prescription. And the science tells us that if um, there are no major mortality factors outside of hunting, and you have a pretty, let's say, average deer herd. Um, you know, where they're producing fawns and those fawns are being um, recruited into the population at a pretty normal rate, you need to remove about 25 to 30% of the adult does on an annual basis just to stabilize population growth. There's pretty good modeling and science behind this. And so let's say, you know, you collect data this fall. And you figure out through your hunter observation surveys or trail camera surveys or they or both and they agree with each other that on your property you have about 20 does on that. You figure out what the total deer density is um, and you figure out generally how many does there are. And I can get into the you know details on how to do that. And you know that you need to remove about you know a quarter to 30% of them just to stabilized population. So to keep the population where it is, that means you need to shoot about four to six does a year. And that's that's literally a prescription, is figuring out a range of does you need to remove on an annual basis. If you needed, if you feel like you need to reduce deer density, because that's too many, like what you have out there is not letting um, your food plots grow like if you put in plots and you put an exclusion cage on there and uh, you can see inside the exclusion cage the stuff's two and a half feet tall and outside it's just dirt probably that's a good sign that you got too many deer right and if your your woods don't regenerate like in the forest um the plants that are either growing or are just invasive plants they don't represent what's in the canopy like you know if you have a lot of oak trees in the canopy but you don't have oak trees reproducing uh, where are the oak trees, right? That means deer probably having somewhat of an effect. It could be sunlight too. It could be other other uh, variables, but that's one of the things that we look at is what's growing. Um, and so instead of killing four to six, uh, we want to shoot over that. So why don't we kill you know six to eight or maybe even more and then just see how, how the data changes over time. So we always start with um, setting a prescription for does adult does and i always like to use a range because it's good to have like a buffer zone there right and just say okay you know it's not this isn't it's science but it's not exact science 
um, you're you're trying to 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 do a certain thing each year. Um, and for folks that don't have the ability to collect that data, we do give some general rules of thumb of how many deer to remove. They're they're to me they're they're very broad. Um, but one of the things that we we teach in some of our classes that you know if you're in a pretty productive part of your state. Um, no matter where you are, you know, you don't just have to be from Iowa to say I'm in a productive area. Like I, again, I live in New York, parts of our state are super productive. Lots of agriculture is there because the soil is, um, the soil and the land use is lot, you know, lots of productivity in terms of, uh, ag. And then, you know, I live in the foothills of the Adirondacks. Same thing with you, Brian, right? Like, you know, parts of Georgia is super productive and parts of it's not. So if you're in a more productive part of your state, meaning lots of deer, you see lots of deer driving around, um, there's lots of good habitat for them, you need to shoot an adult doe for every 25 to 100 acres of that really high quality habitat and just use that as your, as your prescription. If you're kind of in a moderate area, you want to shoot an adult doe for every 100 to 300 acres of like that moderate quality habitat. And if you're in a really low quality habitat, um, you want to remove an, one adult doe for every 300 acres to about a square mile, about 640 acres or so. And those are those will help you stabilize populations. But those numbers are pretty, um, there, there's a pretty big range in what I just said. You know, for example, um, on the high quality habitat range I gave you, you could be killing, you know, if you had 100 acres, you could be killing one or you could be killing four does. Um, so it's, it is a broad range there, but um, that's a good place to start at least. And then you can start collecting data going in the future because we can all collect the observation data. So that's, I, I can stop there to see if you have any questions based on that. But we always start with data if possible. And one of the best ways to, to figure that out is what's, what's your deer density, the total deer density, and that's a per square mile estimate. You know, so how many deer are there per square mile or per acre? And then the next step would be figuring out what your sex ratio is, you know, does the bucks. And so if you know you own X number of acres or you're hunting on X number of acres and the deer density estimate is X, and then you can figure out what your sex ratio is within that number X, then you just divide that number up by the sex ratio that you see from hunter observation. If it's two to one or three to one uh, does to bucks and you have a hundred deer say, you know, you could figure out whether that is, uh, you know, 20, 20 bucks to 80 does, uh, you know, that would be the kind of the math there. And then now you have your doe estimate and you got to figure out whether or not you want to reduce deer density, stabilize or grow the population. And you just do some simple napkin math and say, what's 25 to 30% of that number uh, to, to stabilize the population or reduce it or grow it. And that's, that's kind of how we start. Yeah. And I, I think that's the important thing to, to kind of emphasize here is, you know, this is just giving you a starting point and, you know, you can always start conservatively based on, you know, that, that data you're collecting and, and what the data tells you to harvest and then kind of go from there. You know, obviously if you, if you take out X number of deer and in the next season, you know, you're seeing fewer deer, you're seeing, you're observing fewer deer, maybe getting fewer deer on trail camera or whatever, then 
you know, you can always adjust from there moving forward, but it's not, I guess it's not a one and done process by any means. It It isn't. And, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, given some personal experience, um, telling the, the, the audience here about like kind of some things I've, I've experienced and gone through. So when I, um, I formed, helped form a, a deer management cooperative in like 2010 um, here in New York. I just moved it back into the area. I was living in another state, gained permission uh, to, to hunt a farm. It was a, a dairy farm at the time um, and uh, convinced that landowner to work with his, the family's neighbors and, um, you know, started talking to neighbors and then started a cooperative and just said, okay, you know, one of the ways that we can improve the deer hunting around here is uh, we need to shoot some more does. I can tell just walking around, looking at the habitat on these farms that we hadn't uh, really managed the population as well um, as we could have. Um, You know, there was just, there were some problems with forest regeneration and the plots looked at like I described, and it took a little bit of convincing. Um, And I'll tell you, you know, just anecdotally too, you know, the first, they had abstained from shooting does for a long time. And again, you know, you're talking earlier about uh, um, the culture of, of people shooting does. This was 2010, 11, 12, those years. They had a, they were abstaining from shooting does on these properties just because it was what you didn't do it, right? And the first couple seasons, I've said this before to, to folks um, talking about how old deer can get. The first couple of seasons, we killed some does and we aged them by their teeth. Uh, you know, looking at the wear, but we also sent teeth away to the lab for what's called cementum annuli. Uh, and the really, really old does, I was curious. I mean, they were just cupped out, worn down to the gums, incisors almost absent, like you couldn't even see them. And uh, we killed a couple does that were in their teens the first season. And uh, literally one doe came back as 20 and a half years old. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, crazy, right? So, they really just hadn't been shooting those. And this was 2010, 11. It wasn't like, you know, 1995 or 1990 even. It was 2010 or 11. And so the first season, um, I said, we need to shoot. The first thing we need to do is uh, kill some does. Like I can tell from the habitat. Let's collect data. Let's kill some does. Um, I collected some data. I tried to do a trail camera survey. Um, can't bait in New York because we're CWD positive state. So we did it. We tried to do a non-baited camera survey and just collected hunter observation da- data. And I was just taking wild guesses of what I thought were there. And I was I was off. Um, but I think the first season, and just from um, scale perspective, it was four properties. They were all active farms, all abutted each other. And it was like 1,600 acres or so between these four farms. And about at that time, about 30 hunters were hunting on those 1,600 acres. And uh, the first season, I think we killed uh, about a dozen to 15 does and, um, between the 30 hunters. So not everybody killed a doe. And that's when we killed some of those advanced age deer. And uh, my, my, after crunching some numbers, I said, that is not enough. Like We didn't hit the above 30%. We need to shoot more. And so the next year, I think we killed as a group somewhere above 20. You know, we killed more, still not one per person. Um, the third season, we killed, uh, it was close to 40. So it was more than one doe per person. And then we repeated that, I think, the fourth season. And at that point, 
at that scale with that number of hunters, that's when we saw the shift. But we saw a pretty big shift. I mean, the deer population definitely felt different, a much lower after that second season of killing about 40 adult does on about 1,600 acres. <laughs> and so we backed off. And uh, it took a little longer, actually, you know, in all honesty, I thought the population would rebound faster because it's farm country um, and it's productive, what I thought was pretty productive. But it took uh, time. And at this point, the population right now, today, it's actually back probably closer to was in the beginning. There's too many does there. And so that's kind of the evolution of that ebb and flow of deer management or even wildlife management is... It's an annual thing that you're trying to make the decision of how many to shoot, but you're also you're also working at the scale of about three to four years. And as you're watching numbers go down, you're always going to be probably behind a year. Um, so don't be afraid as a manager, landowner, hunter, you know, that if you do, you try to be conservative, but at some point you're probably not going to be conservative. You're going to be a little bit over. Uh, you're going to hit the hammer a little bit too hard, but then you need to back off. And that's, it's this, if you picture this as like a line graph, populations climbing, 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 and you're trying to catch up and you're trying to shoot enough does. And all of a sudden you hit the right, you know, you hit the pin on the head and the population starts coming down. You need to know to back off. And sometimes you may be a year behind before you do that. At least we were. And so that's, that's true management is just trying to get, um, a good sense of what's out there by collecting information from the ground. You know, the ground will tell you, look at deer weights, the deer will tell you, like, what, you know, weight per age class should be going up as deer population goes down. Like, the deer should get heavier because they're getting more food. Um, we're looking at what we're seeing while we're sitting there. You know, are you seeing uh, the deer per hour uh, average? for hunters should go down if you're shooting more deer or it should go up if you're trying to grow the population. So it's this like, it's an art. It really is. There's science behind it, but it's an art of trying to figure it out. I, I, I really like enjoy that part of it as a, as a, you know, a deer biologist. I really enjoy trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and when to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said earlier, it's a science, but it's not not an exact science. I mean, it's yeah. just uh, it's trial and error, and uh, you're, you're not always going to get it right. But you know, as long as you're you continue with with the data collection and monitoring and then adjusting on on the fly, then uh, you know every, everything should be good. What one thing? Uh, and you may maybe you were just about to say this for listeners that are saying, "Man, this is way over my head." I <laughs> like I, I like I don't have the time for this, and I'm not going to go do all this stuff. Um, I did mention earlier this kind of like sheet worksheet that we created um, and it's on our website uh, and G, maybe you could put it in the show notes. Yeah, I, yeah, I will. You can do that. It's called doe harvest diagnosis. And there's just a series of yes, no questions. Um, there's about, I don't know, 20, 25 questions. And I have it broken down by those different topics I mentioned earlier. You know, the history, what have you been doing in the past? And so you just go through and you check yes or no to the question. You know, did you easily hit your quota last year? Did you, you know, or the last couple of years? Yes or no? So you check yes or no. Um, we ask some questions about the habitat. Yes or no? You, you answer those. And you get all the way to the bottom. Um, and within the worksheet, there's some interactive links that if you're not sure, you can click on it and it takes you to an article or a video on our website 
you know, what's an exclusion cage? How do I set one up? Um, those kinds of things. And at the bottom, it's this is a general uh, prescription. But at the bottom, if you answer these questions and the yeses far outnumber the noes, it's likely you need to shoot more does than you have. And so hopefully you know how many does you and your hunting party shot last year and just say, okay, that wasn't enough. You know, what we're doing is not high enough. If the noes far outnumber the yeses, you probably should back off. You probably need to either back off or not shoot does for a season or two. And if it's about even, just keep doing what you're doing. And so this is the, you know, the DIY um, version of all the science I just mentioned, all that gobbledygook gook and say, <laughs> okay, you know, how do I know if I should continue doing what I'm doing or change? And that, that's, that's a helpful worksheet you can have. Yeah. And we'll definitely, I'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes so they can find that, that worksheet and uh, yeah, give that a try and see what it, see what it tells them for their own property. But I guess uh, what, what you're telling me is just because Georgia allows me to take two bucks and 10 does, I probably shouldn't do that on my 15 acres here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you probably shouldn't. And that, that is true in a lot of places. I mean, just because it's legal um, doesn't mean it's necessarily what's best for your property based on your goals and objectives. And that's where you always start. Um, really, I encourage everybody before you even start doing any of this stuff in terms of figuring out your prescription of how many deer to shoot is try to write down what you want to accomplish. That's, that's like, that's the destination, right? And so that may vary per person. You know, um, you may, you may have objectives. A lot of people think of antler quality when I say that. Um, and it may be, you might have, uh, goals and objectives of of shooting so many mature bucks or bucks of certain antler quality, but it it could be something completely unrelated. It might be, you know, what I would love to shoot more deer next year than I did, or see more deer than I than I did last year. I didn't see a lot of deer, or didn't feel like it. Um, so start with what what you want to accomplish, and that'll help guide your decisions. Yeah, and, and that's a great point. When you brought that up earlier, I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, I really hadn't thought of it that way, but you know, you could take the the same piece of property and depending on the landowner, you, your prescription is going to vary. You know, like you said there, it's, it really depends on your goals. One guy may want to just see deer and another guy may want to, you know, grow big body, big antler, you know, mature bucks. So yeah, that, that that's a great point. But I guess in all seriousness, talking about, you know, my, my smaller property here, how do you handle that when you're dealing with a, a small property like mine? Because, you know, obviously I, I might, I can go back here and sit in the deer stand and, and see several deer. And I, I put out, you know, put out my camera and put some corn in front of it. And I can, I can see quite a few different deer, but I, I would, I would think I would need to be careful on basing it solely on that because obviously those deer aren't just living on my 15 acres. Yeah, I guess. You know, how do you factor that in when you're when you're dealing with a smaller property? That's a great question. You know, so like um, our level of control at a population level um, diminishes the smaller the property. I mean, you don't need sixteen hundred acres to do what I'm talking about. You could do it on fifteen acres. I have seven acres, um, and I hunt on it. You know, I we abut public land, and I hunt on that, and I hunt on on my own place. Um, you know, my goals. For, for when I go behind my my place are different than when I go on 
this co-op per se. And so, um, you know, I would like to shoot a deer with my bow behind my house every year. Um, I don't do that every year, but that's my goal. Or I want to go have so many sits with my kids from a prescription standpoint. I lean a little bit more towards just not worrying about what you have control over, but what you want to accomplish as a hunter. You know, if you want to try to fill all your tags on those 15 acres, it would be impossible to do it almost. But, um, but you could, there's a lot more leeway there, especially, you know, I've never been to your place, Brian, but um, if there are properties around you that are not hunted, you know, and they're, they're holding deer and deer living there and people aren't uh, put, you know, hunting them within it, you probably can push the limit on not shooting more deer because there's this buffer zone around you of deer just going to come through from right. um, to, to a point. Uh, you know, I have last fall, um, I had this doe group crossing my seven acres. I mean, they don't live on seven acres. They, they're walking across it and they barely even like, you know, lay down on it. Um, uh, but I had a really big doe group that I was trying to kill a doe out of with my bow, and I just never got a shot. I mean, it's just like this happenstance of having a shot with a bow with the deer crossing seven acres at this one point. Um, and it was a doe group of like eight or nine deer, I remember. And I felt like, man, I can definitely fill both of my um, tags. You know, I can kill two does in this part of the country, um, in this part of the state with my bow. Um, I live in the northern part of New York, and you can't kill them with a gun. It's do- it's bow or muzzleloader only. And uh, so I was like, I could probably fill both tags right here, and it's not going to have an effect on the population. Well, this year, I don't know what happened to that group, but I got a group of three uh, antlerless deer. It's two does and a fawn that I keep getting on camera. I don't know where those other ones went. Somebody probably shot them. Um, so, you know, personally, I feel like oh, I probably shouldn't shoot those both adult does this year. Uh, because what does that mean for next year? I don't really have control over the deer population like that <laughs> because I don't, there's another group, you know, two properties away that are going to come walking across, but that's how I feel. Right. And so, yeah. you know, that's that part of it is I, I, I don't think you should put so much stock in con- managing a population at a smaller scale like that um, and just have more fun. And just honestly, um, unless all the properties around you are hunted and they're hunted hard and the people around you are shooting a lot of does too. Um, well, that kind of lends itself to try to work with those folks, right? Try to, you know, maybe get a co-op going. Um, uh, but if not, I wouldn't, I would just try to stay legal, obviously, and uh, not worry too much about managing the population and just try to fill your tags. Yeah, basically, if, if you're seeing plenty of deer, you're probably yes. good to, to shoot a couple. And if you're not seeing the deer you want to see, then you might, you know, might not want to shoot the the only one or two that's showing up. So yeah, certainly yeah, a shorter yeah. drag that way, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, as opposed to yeah, dragging one out of public land, it is nice to <laughs> <laughs> drag him right behind the house here. Yeah, that 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 could be a goal or objective for the beginning of your season is is uh you know try to give yourself some from shorter drags this season. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But uh, I guess, you know, we've talked a good bit about, about doe harvest, but uh, what about buck harvest? How do, how do we know how many bucks we can take off a property without, uh, you know, having too much of a negative impact on future seasons? Well, that's a good, te- that's a good question, too. And, it, you know, it always starts with a it depends answer from a biologist, right? So <laughs> it depends. Right. And it really, it, and it depends, honestly, on your goals and objectives. You know, it depends on what kind of hunter you are and whether or not you're trying to, does the, does the 
um, age structure stink around you? Are you trying to push deer into older age classes? Well, if that's the case, um, guess what? You shouldn't shoot younger deer because you want to get deer older because it's based on your goals and objectives. If you don't give two stinks about that and you just want to shoot some bucks, um, that's going to change your, your goals and objectives as well, right? So it depends on what you're trying to do with the deer population. And um, that's a big part of it. I would say it's rare, you know, talking about the, the 25 to 30% of adult does to remove every year. This is why we start with the doe side of it is because they're the ones given birth. Um, and so by controlling doe population, does is how you control population. And guess what? Future does give birth to bucks. So that obviously has an indirect um, uh, aspect of how many bucks you're going to see in the future. But getting back to the buck side of it, um, there's no percentage um, that, that we have based on science. Um, and beyond it being what you're trying to, to, to do with the bucks, um, it is rare. I'll say this. like, say you, Once you come up with a prescription of how many does to shoot, it is rare that you would have the same prescription in terms of numbers, even if it was a range of shooting the same number of bucks on a, on a property as does or more. Um, and I say it's rare because we still want to manage for health, right? Deer herd health and having too many bucks, I'm sorry, too many does and not the same around the same amount of bucks out there is unhealthy. And we can get into what QDM really is and what's healthy. But, you know, for the example I gave earlier, if you have 20 does on your property and you want to stabilize population, you're going to try to shoot four to six uh, does. It would be very uncommon for a biologist to say, well, shoot four to six bucks then too, um, or more. Um, so you're always going to shoot less bucks than does. Generally, the tag systems in this country don't exist in a way that you can shoot more bucks than does. And so you might be limited by that as well. You know, so that's all part of it. So you're, you want to be shooting for um, a subset or a lower number of, of, of whatever you come up with a prescription for does as bucks. Um, a ballpark estimate, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, I mentioned earlier looking at what's the current conditions, right? I said, take, get, collect data, figure out what your deer density is, total deer density, deer per square mile, deer per acre, and then figure out what your sex ratio is. And then once you do that, you have an estimate for the number of does. Well, guess what? You have an estimate for the number of bucks too, right? If you know that there are uh, 20 does living on this property, um, but there's only five bucks because it's a five to one ratio, um, you can look at those five bucks and say, how old are they? What's the composition? Are they all yearlings? Are they all one and a half year old? Do you have five one and a half year old bucks? And if you do, and you can legally kill five um, and you shoot them all, guess what you're going to have next year? Probably just yearling bucks again, um, because <laughs> yeah. that's what the, the does are giving birth to. If you have five bucks, uh, and these are just obviously numbers I'm throwing out there, but I'm using it as an example. And um, three of them are, are one and a half and two of them are two and a half. Well, you know, if as a hunter, you're trying to shoot a, a deer that might be a little bit bigger and you're going to pass on those three yearlings and you're targeting those two, two and a halves. Well, there you go. You got two bucks you can you can target this year. If you have tags for two bucks, try to shoot them both if you can. 
Um, and you and I both know it's easier said than done to go do th- things like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that that's a way that you can set a buck, uh, a buck harvest prescription. Uh, we have an article. We actually have a bunch of stuff on our website, but there are um, articles on our on the NDA website that say, how many bucks should I harvest and how many does should I harvest? On the buck harvest article, uh, Kip Adams wrote that one. He put a, a pretty good rule of thumb estimate of of uh, what deer populations might look like the composition. And so if you're doing nothing um, but shooting every buck you see, you can expect a pretty, you know, you and your neighbors, you can expect to see a pretty large percentage of the buck age structure being younger. And if you're trying to, to pass bucks into older age structure, into older ages, um, by passing just yearlings, just one and a half year olds, you would see a little bit more of what we would deem healthy, I'm doing air quotes here, healthy age structure where you have some of those older age classes represented so they can do what's normal, like leave sign and breed at the right rate and the fawns are born at the right time because you have that balanced age composition. And that, that'll kind of lend itself into in your target. Um, but Kip says in that article, which I think is a pretty good um, rule of thumb is that if you have, even in the best conditions where you have older bucks represented, um, you should be expecting to produce anywhere between three and four bucks of advanced age, like, you know, older bucks, two or three years of older, um, for every, say, five to 600 acres of high quality habitat. And if you think about that, Brian, like think about that, at, you know, you've managed land before publicly, you're trying to manage your own property. Um, you know, if you've got a camera out on your 15 acres, obviously you're getting pictures of deer that are coming and going. You know, how average is it that you have more than on your camera three or four deer that are, say, three or older that you're frequenting? It doesn't. It doesn't happen all that often that you're getting more deer at that scale. No. And so, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, in even in the best, healthiest of conditions, um, if the tag system allots you to do this and you have really high quality habitat, you can produce and remove three to four deer that are three or older for every five to 600 acres and not have a negative effect on the population so that the next year, and when I say negative, the next year you can do it again. You can sustain that harvest. If in a year you have a banner year and you kill six bucks on your you know, property, if you got a couple hundred acres that are three or older, I would put money down that next year you're not going to see the age structure that you did this year. Right? And so that's that's all part of the the math there. And so I don't have quite as clear cut of a answer on the buck side, only because A, it does depend on what you're trying to do. Um, and really it's hard B, it's hard to basically sustain a good buck harvest because uh, you know, it's easier said than done. You can say you're gonna try to do something, but bucks do what they're gonna do. <laughs> and then right. and then and then C, um, what you're trying to do is basically have the opportunity, you know, like give yourself the opportunity that those bucks exist. You're getting them on camera. You're seeing them. You might miss them. You shoot a couple and that it's sustained so that the next year and the next year and the next year, it's fun. You go out there and it should always be less than the number of does that you're killing. Um, it might be almost the same number of does, 
but it is extremely rare in this country. I mean, there's some places that I know it can happen. Super productive Midwest, areas that have very, very, very few hunters. Um, you know, uh, so not many people are putting pressure on it, or where you have a lot of fragmented habitat where there's unhunted zones, um, you know, like outside of suburban, urban areas uh, where you can hunt little pockets, but there's a lot of area where you can't hunt. Th- those places, you probably can get by with shooting more bucks than the average hunter would that's listening to this, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, if we're, I guess, e- even for the guy that's maybe managing a property for opportunities at, at some older age class bucks, you know, it will, will allowing a younger buck to be harvested or a couple younger bucks, you know, maybe he's going to bring out a, a new hunter. Maybe he has a, a child he's bringing up hunting or whatever. Is that going to have, you know, a significant impact on his overall efforts? No, no. I mean, the, the, the negative part about shooting young bucks, if you're trying to really think of it that way, is that, you know, we talked about the culture shift here in, the, in North America for hunters. Um, the same trajectory of shooting more does uh, that happened in the you know 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. People were learning about that because of QDM. And at the time, um, there were a lot of states where uh, you know we weren't we weren't learning about you know what buck age structure meant for the deer population or what it meant for success rates or what it meant for for hunter satisfaction or even deer biology breeding uh, ecology and things and at the time there were like entire states that you know 60 70 80% or more of all bucks killed in the entire state were yearlings and so in a year's basis we were basically remember that example I said a couple minutes ago about you know if you shoot every buck you if you have five bucks out there and you kill all five of them and they're all yearlings you can pretty much bet that the next year you're going to have all yearlings well we did that at a state level and at like county level we were doing that across the country well that across the country today um, hunters don't do that. It's just it's not even regulated anymore. I mean, it is in some places where people are regulating and pushing through, uh, you know, your your state agency or provincial agencies regs to not shoot young bucks. It does exist, but just de- you know, today the average hunter is passing younger bucks just because it's they they think it's something they need to do or they want to do. And um, so, if you take that same situation and you and you talk about it today, shooting a couple of yearling bucks or even more than a couple of yearling bucks, I don't, it's not going to have a negative impact on the population from a breeding, um, you know, perspective or uh, a herd composition perspective or sex ratio composite perspective is because uh, most hunters today, over 80% of hunters practice QDM and pass yearling bucks. Um, and we put out statistics every year at nationally, looking at the deer harvest nationally. Um, more three and a half year old bucks are being killed today, not even through mandate, not even through regulation, but people are just shooting more older bucks today because they're passing yearlings. So, you know, from the person listening to this, um, I got kids that are young. They're just getting into, uh, they can't legally hunt in my state yet, but they go with me. Um, and when they, 
when and if they choose to shoot a deer, I'm going to let them shoot whatever they want. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a big proponent of, for myself, I, I won't shoot bucks until they're certain age classes because that's my own thing. But my kids, if they want to shoot a yearling, I have taken uh, our field of fork program, which is our adult uh, mentored hunting program where we pair a new hunter, a new adult hunter uh, with a veteran hunter. I've taken and sat next to new hunters every year the past, I don't know, five years. And they could shoot whatever they want on the properties that I that I give them access to. They can shoot yearlings uh, if they want. Uh, it's not going to have a negative impact because I know the neighbor and the neighbor's neighbor. And I know the neighbor's neighbor. It, they're all passing yearling bucks too. And so our population is much healthier today than it was from an age composition perspective than it was in the 80s or 90s. And so go for it. Shoot. You can shoot some yearling bucks. You're not going to have a negative impact, especially at a at a either at a small scale, like you know, for you and I, seven to fifteen acres, or if you're in a co-op situation, um, like the sixteen hundred acres I mentioned earlier. Um, no, that's not the majority. The majority of the people hunting the sixteen hundred acres aren't all killing yearlings. The majority are passing up young bucks, and so we can we can shoot some young bucks. It's fine. Um, it's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. Yeah. Cause oh man, I hate to, I'm like you, I've, I've, you know, I've been hunting a long time. So I've, I, I've kind of put some, some higher standards for myself now than I certainly than I, when I first started, I shot my share of yearling bucks over the years when I was a, a young hunter, but uh, man, I hate, I hate seeing anybody, um, you know, put that on a new, a new hunter. Uh, get them out there and get them excited about it. And then they have an opportunity to shoot a deer and, and they're told, no, not, that was not big enough. Yeah. So, yeah, me, me too. I mean, I've, I grew up and New York state is a state that's changed a lot in my hunting uh, career. Um, but a lot of the bucks I killed as a teenager and um, even young twenties, I mean, I killed a bunch of, of, of yearling bucks in those years. And um, you know, it's just, Th- those made me happy. Oh yeah. yeah, and, and uh, I I I know what it feels like uh, to be a new hunter because I'd been there, and I know what it's like to be a, a new hunter today just because I sit next to them, at, you know, these past couple seasons and taking my kids out. And uh, uh, the last thing we want to do is one make somebody feel um, they have to make those choices as somebody that's been hunting a long time, and and likewise. You know, it's hard to get a deer. It's not easy. Some some of those opportunities to shoot younger deer are going to be the, the best opportunities for them to gain experience. And, you know, the meat is just as good as off of another deer. And uh, it's legal. You know, the state plans for it. Um, and you can plan for it as a manager. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I know we're, we're beating a dead buck <laughs> here, I guess. But uh uh, yeah, I mean, let, let folks shoot some yearling bucks. I mean, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. Well, is, is there anything, I guess, that we haven't touched on regarding, you know, deer harvest strategy that that's worth mentioning? Anything we overlooked? Um, you know, some of the things that I would, I would implore on folks, I know it's the less like quote unquote sexy part of deer management, but the data really does help guide you on your journey. Uh, collect jawbones might be one of the best things that you can do off the deer you shoot. Uh, get weights and jawbones, and then write down what you're seeing when you're hunting. 
those are all things that you can do. They're free. You know, you can you can do all that and track this stuff over time. Um, I'd also encourage folks to uh, to ask and plug into some of your local deer management programs and. You know, some of that comes with technical assistance and advice. Uh, we have staff that help with some of those things. But, you know, like I'll give you an example. In many states, if you need to shoot a bunch of extra adult does more than what you get through your tag system, uh, you're probably scratching your head. How do I do that? Well, tap into some of these programs like DMAP. I mentioned this at the very beginning. We have some staff members that help with that in states. But DMAP is Deer Management Assistance Program. It exists in over 20 states. Not every state has them, um, but these are programs where you enroll your property, you get site-specific extra antlerless tags to do exactly what we're talking about, and it gives you that latitude to shoot some of those extra deer so you can manage the population if need be. Um, Got to provide data cases for that too, so that's you know that's part of it. Um, but don't be afraid to collect data. And don't be afraid to be a little bit of a deer nerd, you know, and like, <laughs> and, and look at some of those, those trends and, and look at what the, you know, you don't have to have a degree in this stuff. You don't, you actually, mo- most hunters are pretty intuitive about what's going on. You just actually have to, to push yourself to, to, you know, track it. Um, you might have it in your gut what you feel like what's going on, but I can tell you, don't go on that. Gut, gut is not necessarily the best route to go on. Collect some data, enroll in some programs, ask for advice. You could ask us if we have staff or even some of our national staff, but ask your state agency. A lot of states have um, resources, people. In some cases, they're county-based people that'll come talk to you on your property. Um, Tap into those programs as well. Um, I think that's generally it. You know, don't get – so look at the data, but don't get too – tied up in some of it at the same time. So, it's, you know, I'm talking about both sides of the mouth here. Um, some people get way too serious and think <laughs> about the, 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 the data as uh, ironclad, concrete. That's what it says. We definitely don't know everything that's going on in the deer world. We have a pretty good sense by tracking some of this, but don't beat yourself up if you hit them too hard with a hammer. You know, back off for it a couple of years. They'll come back. Um, or if you're not shooting enough, uh, don't beat yourself up on that. Just, just have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We can, we can get a little carried away at times, uh, as deer hunters and take some of this stuff a little too seriously, but yeah, like, like you said there, there, unless you just go out there and, and, you know, shoot every deer on the landscape, uh, you're, you're probably not going to do anything that can't be corrected with, with a little time. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And use, use your neighbors, you know, if in a positive or negative way, however you want to look at that, you know, try to find out what they're doing, um, work with them. Absolutely implore you to work with them. If you can um, get tags together, DMAP tags, um, if, if it's possible, um, you know, at least know what they're shooting just by having conversations with them so that you can, you can adjust. Um, but that, that's a big part of it too, because you know, you and I mentioned a few times already, the deer that we see are staying on our property. They're definitely not staying on seven acres. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're not staying on my 15 either. I wish they would, but no, they, they wonder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, for the folks who'd like to learn more about this kind of stuff, more about managing their property and managing their deer population, um, what, what are some ways they can do that through the NDA? I mean, I know we've mentioned, obviously, we got a lot of great content 
yeah. on our website. I mean, just tons and tons of articles on there that'll help them with this. But what are what are some other resources? Well, beyond the, the stuff that's free on the website, you know, just immediately I oversaw our deer steward program for over a decade. I don't do that now. Ben Westfall's our direct uh, point of contact on that. But I know we have a lot of folks that know what the deer steward program is. Um, I would strongly encourage you to look into that. Um, it's a comprehensive course program starts online you do level one online if you feel like coming to level two we do in person that is a uh, a full comprehensive program to teach you how to manage a property like i just talked about but in all aspects not only managing population and setting harvest prescriptions but habitat what to do with the habitat how to collect the data how to crunch the numbers Um, our deer steward one program is online as i mentioned um, we actually did a complete overhaul of this uh, of Deer Steward One, and you start you have to start with the online class. And so next year we're launching uh, a revamped Level One. Um, it's going to it's so awesome. I've watched about a lot of the footage. It's all edited. Um, really, really good platform. Uh, so start there. And so I know we're deep into deer season now. A lot of folks probably aren't going to um, enroll in that during. The month of November, but um, watch when we uh, release it February 1st, enroll. We're going to actually have some promotional uh, stuff happening at the very beginning there that you can even save some money and uh, start it for next year. Um, register and enroll and uh, start it you know, for early in the spring. And that way you go into the 2023 deer season a little bit more knowledgeable on how to do these things. There you go. Like it's something you can put on your... Uh... Your New Year's resolutions there to to learn more about deer through the Deer Steward Program. Yeah, absolutely. But Matt, I uh, appreciate your time. Uh, enjoyed enjoyed talking with you and talking about uh, a little bit about about deer harvest. And uh, yeah, just hope hope you uh, have a good deer season. Thanks, Brian. Uh, I, I you as well. Uh, I'm glad to have had the opportunity to come on and talk about this. All right, guys. That concludes our interview with Matt Ross. Uh, thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, and, and several more. So about anywhere you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts, you should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, Hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the the podcasting charts and be more visible to, uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website again at deerassociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter you can become a member and don't forget about that podcast promo code that we talked about at the beginning of the show to get you a little bit of a discount on an annual membership and that free NDA hat. So be sure to take advantage of that and uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, If it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So 
Check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.